Happy New Year, everyone. It's 2022, and we're finally back from our winter break. I'm Martin Kessler, and you're listening to the 20 Minute Fitness Podcast. The 20 Minute Fitness Podcast is all about actionable and evidence-backed health and fitness insights. I've got to say, I really miss doing this, but it was great to catch a little break in between. I've just come back from Tao myself, and it was an absolute mayhem there with a massive deluge of snow blocking all major roads. What normally would have been a three and a half hour drive from San Francisco ended up us taking about 14 hours. <laughs> it was crazy. Nevertheless, we were glad to be out in the snow rather than in rainy San Francisco. Since our little one wasn't quite ready yet for downhill skiing though we opted for some cross-country skiing and boy i've forgotten how much of a workout that is especially when you're towing a toddler behind you while climbing steep hills fortunately it seems like she's much more fond of the sled than the bike trailer i've recently tried so i'm guessing it probably won't be our last time going to tao this season though hopefully we can avoid going through a blizzard next time around anyways Let's cut to this week's topic, which is all about energy expenditure and how exercise relates to weight loss. Humans need energy for most of life's essential tasks from growth, maintenance to reproduction. In an ideal case, we strive for an energy balance, an equilibrium of taking in as much energy as we consume on a day-to-day. Yet given how we didn't enjoy food security for most of human history, we are able to store excess energy in the form of adipose tissue and glycogen in our skeletal muscles and liver, which in turn then can get depleted if our energy requirements happen to exceed the calories we have consumed. Now time and time again, we've been told that if we want to lose weight, then it's all about diet and exercise. Simply put, you've got to consume less energy than you burn. The more active we are, the more calories we will burn. And in order to lose fat, we've got to exercise more. Yet despite a growing amount of American adults meeting the CDC guidelines of at least 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity activity, obesity has still been on the rise. Today's guest has spent most of his career studying human evolution and how millions of years have shaped the way our bodies work. Herman Ponser is an associate professor of anthropology at Duke University. Most recently, Herman has been studying energy expenditure among the Hadza tribe, a group of hunter-gatherers in northern Tanzania, and compared it with that of modern urban communities, all of which he has now detailed in his recent book called Burn, New Science Reveals How Metabolism Shapes Your Body, Health and Longevity. Much to everyone's surprise, Herman's key finding turned out to be that we aren't really in control of our metabolism. If we exercise more, then we won't actually burn more calories. So listen into today's show to learn why humans have evolved to burn nearly the same amount of calories every single day, how your metabolism changes when you're being physically active active or inactive, how we best achieve an energy deficit to lose weight, and whether we can hack our metabolism in any meaningful way. Before we kick things off, I want to thank our sponsors, ShapeScale, the 3D body tracker that visually keeps track of your body composition, and Legion, who offer science-backed sports and health supplements for every need. You can check them out at buylegion.com forward slash shape. With the promo code SHAPE, you get to save 20% off your first order. Alright, let's roll the tape. Herman Ponser, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about metabolism. I believe it's really an area in terms of our bodily functions that is hugely under-researched right now, and there's still a lot of unknowns around it. And I think you've made some really amazing discoveries that I'm excited for, for you and me to share with our audience today. 
But um, for those of our listeners who don't know you yet, uh, can you give them a little bit of a background about your recent work? Uh, yeah, so I'm an evolutionary anthropologist. I'm a professor here at Duke University in the States, and I am very interested in how our evolutionary past shaped our bodies and how that sort of evolutionary history affects the way that our bodies work in these modern, weird environments that we built for ourselves. And I've focused a lot on energy expenditure because it's it's sort of a running total of all the energy that your body spends and all the resources your body directs to its various tasks. So we can measure how your body burns calories and what tasks it burns it on and how those tasks sort of work together and trade off against one another. We can learn a lot about how we evolved and how the bio body prioritizes different tasks about, above others. And also we can understand a lot about cardiometabolic health and obesity and, and uh, weight changes because of course those are all fundamentally also about calories in and, and, and calories out. And, and how did you get into that in the first place? Yeah, well, so, um, you know, as an evolutionary anthropologist, again, interested in how the body evolved, you know, from an evolutionary point of view, I like to say that it's life is just a game of turning energy into babies, right? <laughs> uh, that's, that's what it's all about from an evolutionary perspective. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I spent, spent my graduate career looking at energy expenditure during walking and running and looking at how sort of anatomy differences among species um, and even within humans affect the costs of walking and running in miles, for example. And then I wanted to expand that out and understand the whole energy budget that humans use every day, all, all the calories that come in and how they're all spent on the different tasks. And I realized right away that we didn't have data on human hunter-gatherers, which is a really important point of reference because, you know, we evolved as hunter-gatherers. Um, so it's, it's, it's the lifestyle that's most relevant in some ways to our physiology. But we didn't have any data on other apes. So humans are part of the ape family. And if you want to understand the evolution of any one species, you have to understand how its, it's, uh, its relatives look. And so to kind of put things in, in evolutionary context, we wanted data on other apes. And so anyway, that's just I realized, wow, there's so much we just don't know. People mm -hmm. had estimated these things. People had estimated calories burned in these different species or different lifestyles. Nobody really measured it. And so and in that way, it was easy to know that that's what we needed to do for the next few years. Yeah. I think like in a recent article at the New York Times, you were quoted, and I'm paraphrasing here, is that we, we like to think in terms of metabolism just about exercise, but it's so much more because it really tells us that the total, the running total of how busy all of our cells are throughout the day. And it gives us really that bird's eye view of how our body is functioning. Uh, can you elaborate more on that? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you've got 37 trillion cells, right? And each one of them is busy all day, taking nutrients in, chopping them up, making proteins, et cetera, sending them out to do other jobs. All of that takes energy. And, you know, of all the energy that your body spends all day, you're only aware of, you know, of movement, of exercise. And, and you know, maybe you're aware of some other minor things like breathing or you get stressed out, you're aware of the stress maybe, but those are all really activity, the things that we notice, exercise, it's a small piece of the puzzle actually, right? If you think about all the calories you spend every day, even if you're a really active person, half or even more than half, uh, even if you're really active, uh, of, the, of the energy that you burn every day is burnt on, uh, spent on things that aren't exercise, that aren't movement, that you don't notice, right? So your, your brain burns 300 kilocalories a day. That's the equivalent of running a 5K, right? Every day. Uh, and so, you know, to, to understand energy expenditure in a kind of holistic way that evolutionary biologists are interested in, I think is a good place to start. Yeah, even if, you know, if the, if the goal is to understand how it works with diet and exercise in a sort of applied way in our daily lives, having that broad view to begin with is really helpful. And, and what do you think we can learn from looking at the metabolism? Yeah, well, so you can learn how the body works and how the different systems work together. So, you know, we can talk about how, how things like 
uh, lifestyle effect, energy expenditure, activity levels, that kind of thing. But just broadly speaking, right, your body can't spend the same energy twice. And so energy that it spends on your brain, those are calories that aren't available to spend on immune system. Immune system calories aren't available to spend on exercise, right? And so your body has a limited number of calories it can go through every day. All species are like this. It's not unique to humans. And so by knowing how big the energy budget is and then being able to kind of begin to understand how those calories are spent, you learn a lot about how the body evolves and prioritizes the way it spends its energy. Yeah, so let, let's stick with that because you looked really at the evolutionary history and its impact on metabolism by comparing native tribes, like you said. I mean, you were following the Hudson yeah and compared that with modern day societies and looked at their energy expenditure. So, so what did you learn there during, during that time? Yeah, so that was a really exciting project. That was one of the early ones we did that, that really set the, the, the direction for this work. Like I said, in 2008 or nine, when I started getting into this, realizing that we needed to get these data, nobody had yet measured daily energy expenditure, all the calories or joules, if you prefer, that people burn all day, every day in a hunting and gathering community, right? And so there's this technique that we can use to, to do these measurements. It's the gold standard for measuring energy expenditure outside of laboratory, normal daily life. It's called the, the doubly labeled water method. And that was developed initially in the 50s, but it, it, we couldn't use it for humans until the 1980s. And then it became more and more common, but still hadn't been used much outside of like Western industrialized populations. Most of it had been done in the States or Europe or Japan. And because you know, it was a kind of a medical nutritional approach, right, to measuring calories. We wanted to take that same approach and use it to measure energy expenditure in a hunting and gathering population. And so uh, with Brian Wood, who's now at UCLA, and Dave Reichlin, who's now at uh, University of Southern California, we went to work with the Hadza population in Northern Tanzania. These are one of the last hunting and gathering communities on the planet, right? So, you know, humans, so just to back up a little bit, we're, our, our species is Homo sapiens, right? So the genus Homo is two and a half million years old. Our species, our, our little twig of that, of that group of the genus Homo, our, our species is 300,000 years old. So for 200, sorry, sorry, for two million years or more, our genus, the genus Homo has been hunting and gathering, okay? That is the lifestyle that is how we evolved. And even before Homo sapiens, we were hunting and gathering. And so, you know, if you want to understand humans in the sort of appropriate ecological context, that's the kind of lifestyle that you want to, to capture. There aren't many populations that still do it, but the Hadza are one of these groups. So they don't, don't have any crops. They don't have any, any domesticated animals, no machines, no guns, no electricity, no plumbing, no anything. Every day they wake up in the morning, you know, and they walk out in the landscape around them and get wild plant foods and, and animal foods and honey uh, to eat. Uh, and so Brian Wood had been working with them already for a few years by that point. He's been working with them since. Uh, we've been working with them since too. And we we went out in 2009 and then in 2010 to do these measurements, to work with a Hadza community, men and women there, and uh, in these remote camps and in, in northern Tanzania, and measure total calories burned per day. And we knew going into it, we were, sh we were sure that they would have really high yeah, the energy expenditures, right? Because they're really physically active. They, they get between five and 10 times more activity every day than you and I get, or that's certainly the, the typical American or, or typical uh, industrialized population person gets. So we thought they'd have these really high expenditures. And instead, the huge surprise was that they don't. So even though they're really physically active, and even though we measured it with the best techniques available, and you know had a really precise measurement of calories burned per day, what we found was there's no difference in the total energy expenditure, all the calories burned per day, if you're a Hadza hunter-gatherer, or if you are a American, you know, or a European, or a Japanese, or any industrialized uh, population person, so 
Huge surprise. So, so wait, wait a minute. That, that, does that mean that I could be sitting at home all day and I would still burn the same amount of calories like somebody who's out and about all day long trying to hunt, walking miles and miles every single day? That's exactly what it means. Your typical American and your typical Hadza man or woman burn the same number of calories. In fact, by the way, you have to account for body size in these comparisons, right? And it's because bigger people have more cells than mm -hmm. small people. And so if you don't correct for body size, the Hadza actually burn right. less. <laughs> because they happen to be shorter, sort of a smaller body population. But uh, when you control for size, or if you look at, at uh, you know, a small st statured American versus a typical statured uh, Hadza man or woman, same exact expenditures. And that's after correcting for body fat percentage, age, sex, everything doesn't matter how you do it. Same. So, so why do you think we have evolved to burn the same amount of energy every single day? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, first of all, the first question is, did we get it wrong, right? And so we've actually gone to other populations since and, and seen the same thing. So we're sure the measurement's real and they're sure that this is a phenomenon that's widespread. Second is, is it only humans? And it's not. So if you look at other uh, mammals and other and, and, and birds, you see the same thing. Activity doesn't, doesn't determine expenditure. Um, and so what that says to us is this is a widespread, old, evolved strategy to keep the total energy that you burn every day in a, in a pretty narrow range. You might push it up a little bit or down a little bit. I'm not saying it's exactly precise every time, but, and day to day, you'll have fluctuations. We're talking about the sort of average over a week long kind of sure. time frame here. Day to day, you'll, you'll definitely fluctuate, but the average over a week or so, keep it in a narrow range. Okay. Why? Well, this gets back to why we burn calories to begin with, right? Any organism burns calories. The reason you're getting energy in and burning it off is to stay alive, but even more importantly, to reproduce. And that's what evolution is all about, right? And so any organism should be evolved to burn as many calories as it can without going over, right? Without burning so many that you you are running a deficit yeah. and you run out of, you're burning fat for too long. We've got to survive. Yeah, you have to survive. <laughs> Um, and so you can think about humans living in different environments. If you live in a really physically active environment, you grow up that way, your body learns to spend its energy on activity and less on other stuff, right? Immune function, reproduction. Other stuff like what? Well, so immune function, reproduction function, maintenance, stress reactivity, you know, spending less on those things will mean that you'll have, you know, you, you won't be able to have babies quite as often. And that's true. If we look at Hadza women, for example, you know, they don't, don't typically use birth control. They typically want big families. And still, a Hadza woman will typically have a, a baby every three years or so. A woman in the United States, if she wants, could have a baby every much faster than that. Sorry, not, not every three years, could have a baby every every year or so in the States if you want. Right. So there's more energy available for that kind of thing, for reproduction, for example. Immune function, right? We think that, that probably if you're more physically active, you're spending more energy on activity, you're spending less, therefore, on inflammation, less on stress reactivity. So these are the trade-offs your body makes. And we can see that when we look across populations, but we can also see it when we look within, you know, a, a group of Americans or a group of Europeans, right? So it doesn't, it's not just across populations, it's also within we see this kind of trade-off in how the body spends calories. All right, listeners, quick break to talk about Legion. Now, Legion has a wide array of workout and health-related products, most of which I've tried and used over the past few years. I actually like their stuff so much that I went out and asked our producer, Leela, to reach out to them and get them to sponsor our show. Anyways, you've already heard me in previous episodes to talk about, you know, like Legion's Pulse pre-workout mix, which is available with and without caffeine, and which also has all the right ingredients like butane, beta-alanine, L-theanine, and alpha-GPC, all at the scientifically proven to be efficient dosage to maximize your energy, muscle endurance, and overall strength for your workout. Then, of course, there's Legion's Whey Plus and casein protein, 
which unlike most other proteins are produced by 100% grass-fed cows and they're free from artificial sweeteners and food dyes. Now the muscle building trifecta as I would call it wouldn't really be complete without Leachin's post-workout mix called Recharge. Leachin's Recharge packs creatine, L-carnitine and L-tartrate among other ingredients which help you boost your muscle gains and also to absorb your post-workout nutrition much more efficiently. Just like all their other supplements, all ingredients and their dosage are not only selected at the level proven to be effective by scientific studies, but are also lab tested to ensure they meet FDA purity standards. Honestly, it's really no wonder that most of their supplements are not just highly rated by customers on Amazon, but also by the supplement testing company Labdoor. All 20 Minute Fitness listeners who are new to Legion can now get 20% off their first order. Simply head to buylegion.com forward slash shape and use promo code shape at checkout and you save 20% off your first order. That's buylegion.com slash shape. Coupon code shape for 20% off your first order. Legion, get ready to crush your workout. So other than fertility and uh, inflammation, like th does that have like a long-term impact then in terms of, let's say, growth for adolescents or our overall longevity because we don't fight inflammation as much? Or does it even like impact, I don't know, like our, our neuroplasticity and, and how, how we evolve over time as we grow? So yes, but we don't really know how. <laughs> this is really right. uh, fun stuff. So we, we know that that as your body, this is something we just published uh, a couple months ago, and this is a different context. So let, let's, instead of looking at just the Hadza, now let's think just globally about just mm -hmm. humans as a species. We have this big data set, more than 6,000 people, and we have everybody from eight days old up until the end of their 90 plus years old. And so we can do a daily energy expenditure over the life course. And what we see is uh, children have really high metabolic rates. You're born with a kind of medium metabolic rate, but then your cells ramp up and you're burning tons of calories when you're one and two and three years old. Uh, your cells are really busy. Slowly that comes down until it hits this sort of adult level about the age of 20. These are all size corrected, by the way. You know, a 10 pound baby doesn't burn more calories than a 200 pound man. That would be crazy. But for their size, right, they're burning lots of energy. Okay, so you get to this adult level from 20 to about 60 years old, that starts to fall off. There's lots of variation around that. So some people have a sort of high and, and some people have a low or, or fast and slow metabolism. We don't know, right? So you're, you're basically your, your, your body, the met metabolic rate is changing rapidly through growth. All of that is going to have to do with development and the environment that you grow up in. How much illness do you have? How much food do you have? How active are you? How stressed are you? All these things are going to affect how you burn those calories. And it is very likely that it's those things are also shaping how many calories you burn. What's normal for you? Are you a high meta metabolism person or a low metabolism person? And, and that might be trained. That probably, you know, like most traits is probably partly genetic and partly learned, partly environmental, right? Like height. You have genes that affect height. But if you grow up in this environment with good food, you'll be taller than if you grow up in that environment with poor food, right? So it's a really exciting time to be doing metabolism because we don't know, we, we have the overall roadmap. We have a shape of how these things work. We begin to understand that the body trades off. This isn't, you know, your energy expenditure each day isn't just some simple, you know, grocery bill that you get at the end of the day. This, you do yeah. these things and this is how many it's going to cost. It's not that simple at all. These things are all interacting. They're interacting over a lifetime. We don't have a great handle exactly on what all of this means yet, but it's a really exciting time to be doing the research. And do we have an understanding other than, of course, age, uh, how we can influence the speed of our metabolism and, and 
you know, like how our body is allocating energy expenditure. Yeah. Like, let's say if, if, you know, like somebody the heart, so like, does it mean they just have to eat more or just have more body fat for their bodies to basically use up more energy for other important bodily functions other than just being active? Yeah. So the way you want to think about this is that your energy budget is more or less fixed. It's hard to move it much. So rather than thinking about trying to boost your metabolism or change how many calories you spend every day, people should think about how you spend those calories. What does your budget look like? If you're spending a lot of your calories on activity with exercise or just walking the dog or whatever, getting out there and doing a lot of activity every day and your muscles are burning those calories, that's great because you're going to have less energy to spend on things like inflammation, stress reactivity, et cetera. And you, that's, you want that. You, you don't want to have too much inflammation. You don't want to have overreaction to stress, right? And we know from studies in the States and other industrialized populations, people who exercise more do in fact have less inflammation, less stress reactivity, right? Their, their reproductive hormones are in a, in a healthier level. So don't think about changing the total calories that you burn every day. Mm -hmm. That's hard to move. You might change it a bit, but that's not going to be much. Not going to be better yet. Think about how you spend them. And if you're spending them on exercise, you're better off. Now, if your listeners are really excited about you know, are really serious athletes. Okay. And if you take them to the extreme, now you can understand if I spend, you know, spending more on exercise is usually a good thing. If I take that to the extreme and I spend so much on exercise that I don't have enough for the essentials. Uh, what's too much? Well, I'll tell you what's too much is what is called relative energy deficit syndrome, right? When you don't mm -hmm. have uh, enough energy to re recover from a cold or to, if you're a woman or for that matter, a man, and your reproductive system is basically on hold, right? Women stop uh, getting their period. Men have really low libidos and low testosterone levels. You can have, you know, what's called cytopenia, which is you don't have enough white blood cells circulating to, to fight infections. That's too much. And so that's called overtraining syndrome. Um, if you don't have those symptoms, good news, you're fine. Right. But that's, that, that's the sort of logical conclusion of this budgeting way of thinking about things. Usually you want to spend lots of energy on, on activity. It's for almost all of us. That's a really good thing. You'll know if you're going too far, if you see the overtraining syndrome. Is there like a, I don't know, like a threshold, like, I don't know, I have to use up more than 30, 40% of my basal metabolic rates on, on exercise. And, and then I have exceeded that threshold yeah, or how do I don't, I, I don't that? have a number for you. <laughs> we're not, we're not there yet. Oh, that's yet. too bad. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, because I, I can see how it varies, you know, like somebody, you know, like an elite athlete, they're much more used to a lot of training. Yeah. So it may not seem like it's harming them in, in some ways, but that might be just a short term effect because maybe they're actually harming their long term disease risk. Yeah, sure, possibly. I mean, so here's another thing to think about. If you, well, so for that athlete, I would say if they're feeling good and they're recovering from a cold or an infection, just fine. And they don't have any issues, you know, if it's a female athlete, she's still cycling uh, or male athletes aren't seeing an obvious change in uh, reproductive function, probably you're fine, you know, but these changes that you make to exercise, sorry, let, let me let me rephrase it. One way that we can target how much to do is to come back to that sort of evolutionary perspective, right? The Hadza as a group get about 13,000 to 19,000 steps a day, right? Well, that's not a bad place to aim, right? For the rest of us. Mm -hmm. So don't think about it as calories because that's hard to measure. Anyhow, you can just think about it. Okay, if I'm getting my 10,000 steps, maybe even better, 15,000 steps, That's a lot. It's ambitious, but for a lot of us, but it's it's a great goal and it's the way to go. You know, and, and, and we know from other studies, you don't have to be playing hunter-gatherer, right? If you're in the in the States or in Europe or whatever, and you're the kind of person that gets those activity levels, 
you're going to be healthier. We know this from, from longitudinal stuff and, and epidemiological work within our own populations that if you're hitting that kind of hunter-gatherer mark for activity levels, you, you're going to do better. Right. And, and what role do you think body composition plays then? Because earlier you mentioned that, you know, in the United States, because uh, if you're bigger and also you have more weight or, or body fat, yeah. you also end up burning more calories. And it's also, I think, I think it's a known fact that uh, the more lean mass you have, the more you will also burn at rest. Yeah, absolutely. So... Body size is the biggest predictor of how many calories you burn every day. And more than that, it, your, your lean mass is the best predictor, right? Because your lean mass, your organs and your muscles, it, well, muscle organs, your, your non-fat organs are very busy and fat cells are not very busy. So Americans are bigger and have more fat. We correct for all of these. We count for all of these things when we compare. To, so that, that, it doesn't explain that mm -hmm. phenomenon. But two things. One is... Big people will burn more calories anyway, just by being bigger. So there's that to think about. Often people talk about, you know, obesity as well. That, that person who's obese is spending fewer calories. No, actually, the person who's obese is spending a lot more calories, right? Just by virtue of yeah. being larger. Uh, the second thing is, how do we get to that obesity level in the first place? How do we get all this extra fat? And there, you know, the, the, the data from the Hadza and other groups is, is pretty clear as well. And it, this fits really nicely with other work. Weight and body fat percentage is a function of, of what you eat, much more than how active you are, right? Because every calorie of fat that you carry is a calorie that you ate and didn't burn off, whether it came in as carbs or came in as fats or came in as, it doesn't even matter. It's, it's stored as fat typically long-term. And those are calories that you ate and didn't burn off. So it really is fundamentally about calories that came in and calories that go out and, and you know, calories in, calories out. That's just the physics of it. Okay, the, the energy that you burn, the calories out, we just talked about is really hard to move. Mm -hmm. So that says to me then that, that if you want to change the equation, you have to focus on the calories in. Yeah, so if, if, if you were overweight, you wanted to lose some body fat, yeah. diet is the way to go. Absolutely. Because if you end up exercising more, you would just compensate elsewhere. And in the end, you would just have the same yes. calories yeah. in, calories out equation. Yeah, you should exercise anyway. Exercise is so good for you. And I want to be really clear about that. We're, we're never saying that exercise isn't important. It's really important, but it's not great for weight. Yeah, it's, it's great for your health, but it's not necessarily the, the best way to go about losing actually weight, right? Yeah, I mean, like, um, you may be familiar with also an ongoing debate regarding, you know, the traditional calories in, calories out approach mm -hmm. and versus the carbohydrate insulin yeah. model promoted by some folks of the low carb community, such as David Ludwig mm -hmm. and Gary Tops. Well, what, is you, what is your take on that? Like, does it matter what kind of food we eat versus like how many calories we put in? So I think there's been some confusion here, sometimes maybe intentional confusion about how this would work uh, and how these different views are similar and are different. Let's start with carbohydrate insulin model because it's the, actually the sort of simplest one to discuss. Carbohydrate insulin model says it doesn't matter how many calories you eat. It only matters how many carbs you eat because if you eat carbohydrates, your insulin levels spike. Uh, insulin does a lot of things, but among other things, it takes blood glucose and puts it into fat cells. And it basically clears your blood for, with nutrients because it packs all of the, 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 into your fat cells. And your brain senses that you have no nutrients, no, no energy in your blood. And it, it responds by feeling by, by making you feel tired and by reducing metabolic rate. It's a really nice idea. A lot of us took it pretty seriously, you know, 10 years ago or so when um, when it kind of had its big moment, uh, yeah, 2010 or so, I would say. It has spawned a lot of really good research. So people like Kevin Hall have done really careful work to look at carbohydrate levels, you know, low carb versus high, low fat diets, how that affects insulin levels, how that affects body weight, how that affects hunger, how that affects uh, all the things that, that it should. And guess what? It doesn't work, right? So as a scientist, 
I am sympathetic because I've had lots of ideas that didn't work. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a nice idea. It's plausible. It could work. It just doesn't work. It doesn't fit the data. And it doesn't fit these kind of, you know, controlled feeding study data. It doesn't, it doesn't fit the real world. If I take people and I assign them a different diets, right? So this has been done a few times. I randomly assign people low carb, something in the middle, low fat. And I say, go out, stick to those diets. Let's see how you do. Everybody does the same, right? Yeah, especially if you control for the calories. Yeah, well, it's, in, it's, right? the like, only thing that determines how much because, because what we probably see is those that are on a low carb diet, they probably are more likely in a carbohydrate, uh, not in a calorie deficit than somebody who's not. And that's why we're seeing them to lose more likely weight. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that gets back. So that gets to this issue of the other way, the energy, energy, out, the, the energy balance model that people say, well, so are you saying that, that the food doesn't matter? And the answer is no, of course, food matters, but it, it matters in how it affects how hungry and how full you feel and you know what it does throughout your body so i know that if you eat a really high fiber diet or for that matter you know like beans and lentils lots of protein and lots mm -hmm. of fiber you will feel full on fewer calories and you will probably lose you know if you do eat fewer calories you'll lose weight and so in that sense it doesn't matter what the foods are it's about losing it's about eating mm -hmm. less of them how do you get there well for some people a low carb diet really works for helping them not eat so many calories that's, there's no magic, right? Some people yeah. a low fat diet helps because they eat more fiber, more plant, you know, more whole foods, more vegetables. So it's wrong to say that if you don't believe the carbohydrate insulin model, then you're saying all foods are the same. People like to say that, you know, that that's the, that's yeah. the easy response. Oh, well, then you're, are you telling me that potato chips are the same as broccoli? No, of course. Uh, <laughs> right. It's, that's not the, ever been the point. The point is, is it carbohydrate specifically, or is it the sort of hunger and satiety signaling in your brain and how you respond to those foods? And if you're able to eat fewer calories on this side of that, that that's, and that's what I think the consensus right. is now. And now when you look at it through the lens of metabolism, like does diet have or nutrition overall have any impact whatsoever on your metabolism? Well, if you really cut calories severely, your metabolism will go down because your body doesn't want to starve. This is an evolved response that all animals have. So yeah, you can, you can reduce your metabolism by, by starving yourself um, or dieting too severely. I think the jury is still out on if macronutrient mixes can have some small effect on mm -hmm. expenditure. I, I don't think they, it'll turn out that they do or not, you know, it may, it might be tiny effects. It doesn't seem to predict if you gain weight or not, the small amounts of the metabolism. And then there's all the metabolism boosting stuff, right? And that is all bullshit. I'm sorry. It doesn't work. You know, the, the supplements <laughs> and the, the, the only thing you can do that boosts your metabolism a little bit is like coffee, you know? I mean, and that's just such a tiny effect. It doesn't actually affect your weight. Yeah, because that, that that's another common trope, right? Like that you use yeah. caffeine and that would speed up your metabolism. Yeah. I mean, if you really go crazy, I mean, if you look, if, you know, the things that you can take to change your metabolism are can fall into two categories generally speaking um ineffective and dangerous right the ineffective ones are the ones that you can buy at gnc or whatever <laughs> the dangerous ones are like illegal drugs and stuff like that that you shouldn't take anyhow that are like that really mess you up yeah i bet that there's ways to change your metabolism that way but that's you don't want to do that either that's that's crazy stuff right so so how, how should we look at metabolism then based on what you've learned so far like uh, how does it play a role for us uh, how do we utilize it uh, is it like a way for us to assess yeah. something get get like a snapshot about our how, how healthy we are i think that it's 
Okay, if you're talking about your metabolism and energy you burn every day, I think that what we learned is that rather than trying to change that number, I want to burn 200 more calories a day or whatever, you know, rather than trying to change that number, think about the way that you spend the calories, right? You're on a fixed budget. We used to think that we could get a raise, right? <laughs> Somehow we're going to get a raise and make it and, and earn more calories. <laughs> you're never going to get a raise. So instead you have to live on a fixed budget and figure out how you spend it. And that's the way to happiness, right? That figure out a better way to spend the calories rather than trying to change the number you're spending. Now, I think there's a, a story that's yet to be told about how metabolism changes over the lifespan in children and then in, in older age. We're only just, we've just cracked the book open on that and we don't know yet where, what we're going to learn. So that's, maybe there's things to learn there, but for now, I think that understanding this as a fixed budget is the first way to start. Yeah, I mean, do, do we understand actually the reasoning why, um, you know, our metabolism slows down as we age? Like, I mean, it tends to be like the fastest in our first year yeah. after birth, right? And, and then it slows down dramatically from there. Yeah, yeah. So we don't know. So, you know, it doesn't seem to start. So your, your metabolism, how busy your cells are, seems to be pretty stable from your 20s into your 50s even. So there's no middle age slowdown in metabolism. It feels that way. Mm -hmm. I'm in my 40s and I can Tell you it feels that way but that's not what's happening <laughs> you know what's happening is your, your cells are still just as busy other changes are making you feel a little bit different okay you get to about 60 and it starts to decline slowly why well we don't know really interestingly 60 years old is around when the likelihood of different diseases starts to increase so it could be that it's just general aging and decline you know senescence it's too late to be menopause for example and we see it in men and women it's too late to be you know sort of the end of a sort of uh, it's too late to sort of reflect activity levels activity levels start to decline before then i don't know I don't know what it is, but I think it's going to end up being important for health and either a, a marker of how healthy you are, you know, are your cells still busy and burning calories or are they slowing down? And maybe it's even something we can manipulate. That'd be exciting to see. But have you seen any evidence yet, like of, of potential ways of how we could manipulate it? I mean, like I, from what I understand, some people also utilize, of course, of course uh, prolonged fasting yeah. to stir autophagy. But again, that's just based on mouse and, and worm studies, yeah, there's been little evidence whether that really works for, for, for men. Yeah, I'm not sure. So, I mean, calorie restriction is actually the opposite, right? Calorie restriction actually will reduce how many calories you burn every day. Now, that might still be good. That might be a different kind of mechanism to do it. Uh, you might produce mm -hmm. less oxidative stress, for example, with calorie restriction. So that would be, but that would be a different mechanism. It would have to be because you're intentionally slowing yourself down with calorie restriction. The sirtuin stuff, and I, I'm not so sure that that's going to pan out. Like you say, it doesn't seem to work very well in, in humans. Not the way that we think it is anyway. I'm, I'm skeptical. There's recent work that I'm excited about. I, I don't do this work, but it, it seems exciting to me looking at NAD. That it's a, that's a molecule in your, that's active, especially in your mitochondria in the energy producing part of your cell and NAD changes and mitochondrial changes seem to be associated with aging. And so perhaps there's sort of uh, NAD pathways that you could target for that. But, you know, I, I don't think we're there quite yet to know exactly how it works to, or, or, or what we can try to target. Right. And, um, I'm still curious also what, what you take is regarding metabolic health in terms of yeah. how adapted we are to towards burning carbohydrates versus fat. 
Yeah, humans are really adaptable. We have lived, it is not a mistake that humans live in every ecosystem on the planet, right? Except for underwater. So we are able to live anywhere. And that's not just because, you know, somehow we make it work. No, because we're incredibly adaptable. Our physiology is built to run on almost anything. And so if you look across populations of hunter-gatherers in the recent past, and for that matter, people today, I can find you any mix of plants and animals, carbs and fats that people are very happily running on and being very healthy as a population on. The Hadza have a really high carbohydrate diet, actually. 15% of their calories every day are, are, are honey on average. And that's just sugar and water. So this idea that it has to be one thing or it has to be another thing is mm-hmm. silly. It just does not make any sense. And secondly, the idea that it has to be high, high fat, low carb, well, that just doesn't make any sense at all because we, we know lots of populations that are incredibly healthy on high carb, uh, high carb diets. So that's my take on that. Right. And I, I think it's all a function of satiety and what works yeah. for you in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fi- finally, like, what, what are you most excited about in this space? Like, what, what should we be watching? I uh, really want to track down what these changes are over the lifespan, right? What's happening with little kids as their bodies develop and they're basically, you know, their bodies are basically learning about their environments, right? That's that's growing up is, is your body learning and adapting? How does metabolism play into that? What is it telling us? I'm excited about that story. What's happening in older ages at 60 plus and can we manipulate that or, or hold off aging or at least have a, uh, maybe have an early signal that you're aging and we need to deal with it? Mm. That's exciting. So I think right now, those are the two most exciting questions we have in the lab. Oh, actually, I skipped over the one I usually start with, which is uh, what are exactly what exactly are the signals that are changing and, and adjusting to exercise to change other systems in the body? We're also working on that and excited about that. So yeah, those are the three big ones. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Yeah. And if our listeners want to learn more about you and metabolism in general, like where should they look? Well, I hope they'll read my book. Uh, I just wrote a book called Burn, which <laughs> covers a lot of this uh, and, and more. And so please check that out. You can look at our website here at Duke, our lab website, of course. I'm on Twitter at Herman Ponser, and you can check out what happening day to day there yeah so i I hope people will tune in awesome well thank you so much for coming on the show herman ponzer thank you so much once again great thanks to herman ponzer he's associate professor of evolutionary anthropology at duke his book is burn which was released last year and is available at all major bookstores i'm still wrapping my head around his research that showed us that the hatsa who every day move around for four hours and fifteen thousand steps supposedly use up the same amount of energy as your average couch potato north american though i've always thought of diet to be superior to that of aerobic exercise when it comes to weight loss it never really occurred to me that exercise would make almost no difference in increasing your energy expenditure yet i suppose a part matches also my last year's experience of achieving little difference in weight loss when I increased my active calories from a thousand to fifteen hundred calories a day. This year I instead focus on mostly resistance training and diet even during my cut this winter. That said I won't be selling my peloton and running shoes quite yet. After all aerobic exercise can still help you to reduce joint inflammation and improve endurance, mood and mental sharpness. Anyways if you'd like to learn more about Herman's work on human energetics I strongly recommend you to check out our complete show notes on 20minute.fitness you can also find me on twitter and instagram at kessler io and if you enjoy the show please give us a review on apple podcasts and spotify your review helps other listeners to learn about our show and of course your feedback is always highly appreciated if you've done that already please consider telling a friend or family member about the show if you think they'd get something out of it i'm martin kessler 20 minute fitness is mixed by lila lasso and produced by Shape in San Francisco. As always, thank you for your continued support and until next time.